So for the last three weeks, we've been in this series called Life Together. And uh, we've really just been practically talking about what does it mean for us as the family of God here in downtown Nashville? What does it look like for us to do life together? And so over the last kind of three weeks, we've been looking at the relational rhythms of Jesus's life and where Jesus gave his priority and his energy. And so on week one, we looked at Jesus as he gave his first kind of energy to God the Father. And so we talked about what does it mean for us to be people that hear from God and love God and walk in relationship with God. And then last week, we looked at kind of that inward nature of Jesus's mission where he lived in community with a group of disciples and kind of his spiritual family that he grew with. And so last week, we were in Acts chapter two and talked about what does it mean for us to be a spiritual family together. And we started signups for house churches and hopefully you've had the opportunity to take that step. And then this morning, We're gonna talk about the aspect of Jesus's ministry that I have struggled with most consistently as a follower of Jesus. And that was Jesus's outward facing mission towards a world that does not yet know the love of Jesus. And so you see this play out in the life of Jesus. He would always give his best energy first to his heavenly father. Then he would give his next kind of bit of energy to his spiritual community. And then he would take that spiritual community and they turn their eyes to a world that did not yet know the love of God. So every week at Ethos, we talk about this, to, to love God up, to love people, that's kind of our inward mission, and to awaken the movement, to turn our hearts towards the people and the places that Jesus Christ came to save and to reach and that he wants to use us to do this. I want to share just a bit of my story before we jump into our text this morning because I know a lot of you, but there are a lot of you that I also don't know, and maybe my story will kind of be helpful, give you some context. Um, I grew up in a great Christian home, a part of a great church, and when I was in high school, somewhere around the age of 15 or 16, God began to awaken my heart for those kind of in my immediate circle who did not yet know the love of God. They didn't know the grace or the kindness of God. I'd never really thought about people who did not know Jesus before. And all of a sudden, I find myself really caring for them. And I think God was using a variety of circumstances. Uh, I grew up in a great family that was passionate about the lost as part of it. As part of a church that was passionate about people that didn't know Jesus, that was a part of it. But I think one of the things that really happened was I entered into high school, this large public secular high school. And all of a sudden, I found myself in close proximity with some of the finest people on planet earth who just so happened to not know Jesus. And some of you know this feeling, you are in close proximity with people that you love and people that love you who don't yet love Jesus. And all of a sudden I found myself kind of in this place of tension and good news is Jesus is passionate about those people. And so it was in that season of my life that God began to awaken in me this kind of heart for those that don't love the Lord. And so for three or four years, I was real passionate about that. And then I moved to Nashville for college. And I'm just curious, raise your hand if you grew up in Nashville your whole life. How many of you are from Nashville? Wow, that's insane. We are all exiles to Nashville. It's unbelievable. Um, It's about how it has been across the life of our church. We kind of all end up here. And there was this weird thing that happened to me as I ended up in Nashville. All of a sudden, I'm in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, and it seemed like everything and everyone here was Christian. And so there was Christian stores, there was Christian businesses, there was Christian radio, they had Chick-fil-A, which is Christian chicken, you know. On top of that, I went to a Christian university. And so in just a matter of months, I found the entirety of my life painted with this veneer of Christianity. And all of a sudden, it didn't seem like there was so much black and white, right and wrong, in and out, saved and unsaved. It just seemed kind of gray. 
And I found myself wrestling with, okay, what does it look like to be a person committed to the mission of Jesus in a city where everyone seems to claim that they already know and love Jesus? (laughs) Have any of you wrestled with this before? And so I, I started school and I spent four years studying theology, which isolated me even more from those in our city that didn't know Jesus. And then I spent two more years studying theology at the graduate level, so I'm even further isolated. Uh, about this time, I'd met my wife, Sydney, and just as my love for those that didn't know Jesus was beginning to cool, her love for those that didn't know Jesus was beginning to just explode. And I found that our lives were kind of these parallel circles, these parallel tracks that didn't seem to ever cross when it came to how we were thinking about mission. I was spending all of my time and all of my energy talking about the mission of Jesus. And here she was in grad school. She was one of only three people in her entire cohort that were professing Christians. So here I was talking all day about the mission of Jesus, and here she was trying to live it out, and we found ourselves kind of at this point of tension. And there was this single conversation that God used in my life to forever change the trajectory of my life. I'm convinced that part of the reason God called us to plant ethos, part of the reason we do what we do as a family is based off of this one conversation about 10 years ago. We're driving down Belmont Boulevard talking about one of her classmates who was not a follower of Jesus, who Sydney loved. And I'll kind of spare you the details, but we found ourselves in this moment of intense fellowship over the issue. Someone called a fight, but I I prefer to think of it as intense fellowship. And we're trying to decide how how do we handle this situation missionally? And I'll never forget, in love and truth and grace, she looked at me and God used the next phrase out of her mouth like a jackhammer to my heart. She said, Dave, I am so tired of you talking about the mission of Jesus. Could you just try it? Could you just step into it? I don't, I don't care what you do. I don't care how you try. I don't care whether you fail or whether you succeed, but you've got to move beyond talking about it. I'm just tired of the talking. And there was this moment where the Spirit of God used the gentle and yet confrontational words of my wife to really expose this reality that my heart had grown cold to the people whom Jesus had come to reach. And for years, I loved the idea of God the Father, I loved the idea of spiritual community, but my heart was not connected to those in the city that did not yet know Jesus. And so I went on this adventure, and for the last 10 years, I found myself in this place where, as a family, we're constantly experimenting. How do we reach out? How do we serve? How do we love love those who don't yet know the Lord? And the truth is, there's been a lot of success, there's been a lot of failure, there's been a lot of frustration and uncertainty, but in the midst of it all, the joy of Jesus has prevailed. And so this morning, this is the conversation that I want us to have as a church. I do not want Ethos to become just another cool church meeting in a hipster bar in downtown Nashville with great worship and great community, but no love for those who are outside of the, uh, the confines of this community. And so I want us to have a conversation, and more specifically, I want you to really wrestle with the Holy Spirit and go, okay, does your heart long for those who don't yet know the Lord? Because this is what the conversation is about. So Luke chapter 10, I think, is perfect for this. In Luke chapter nine, Jesus has been talking to the disciples about what it means to be on mission, what it means to be his follower, what it means to be a disciple. And then you get to Luke chapter 10 and Jesus is gonna say, let's move beyond the conversation, let's move beyond talking, let's start trying to live this out together. He's gonna send the disciples out to try out the things that they've been talking about. And so we're gonna start in Luke chapter 10, verse one together. You can look at your Bibles and I'll read this first portion of our text for us. It says, after this, after the disciples had been drawn to Jesus after they'd been in community with each other. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. 
And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. And so there's this moment where the disciples have been deeply connected with God. They've been deeply connected with each other. And Jesus says, now let me invite you to take a step beyond just talking about the mission to actually trying it out. Let's see what this mission is like together. And he makes this huge statement. He says, listen, the size and the scope of this mission is far greater than the willingness of God's people to step into it. That's what he says in verses one and two. Look back at it. He says, the the harvest is ripe, the workers are few. In other words, there are people all over the city of Nashville hungry and interested in Jesus. And there are churches full of people in Nashville that don't care about those people. Don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. Jesus says the mission is huge. Pray that God would send the people out of the temple into the world, that God would do something with it. It's what I've been praying all week is that God would not just give us another, we don't need another conversation about mission here at Ethos. We talk about mission all the time. This is our favorite thing to talk about. We don't need another conversation. What we need is the power and the spirit of God to awaken cold hearts because before he awakens a movement in the city, he must first awaken a movement in us. He says, pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send his people out to do something. It's gonna be here in Luke chapter 10, the next few verses that we look at, that Jesus gives, I would consider them to be four of the most practical instructions for missional living in all of the Bible. Jesus is gonna move from inspiration to instruction. He's gonna move from inspiring them to giving them practical things that they can do if they want to step into this larger than life mission that God has put before them. I don't know if you take notes, but I encourage you to write down these four words. These four words will kind of frame our time as we think about what it means to move from talking to trying out the mission of God. And these are the four words. The first word is to go. The second word is discover. The third word is to show. And the fourth word is to tell. To go, discover, to show, and tell. And Jesus is gonna say, let's quit talking. Let's try this out. He's gonna invite them to step into it. And this first instruction to go comes out of verse three. Look at this. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That doesn't sound very good for us, but that's the, that's the way the mission goes. Like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. Jesus looks at them and says, listen, the mission you have is urgent. This takes first priority. Don't get delayed, don't get stopped. I want you to be about the things that I am. He says, and the mission begins with you understanding that we are a going people because our God is a going God. This would have totally changed the way the disciples thought about church. Their whole life, they were taught that the essence of their spirituality was built upon their willingness to come to the temple. It's what many of you have been taught your whole life that the the depth and the maturity of your spirituality is based upon you coming to a church. And Jesus says, listen, the depth of your maturity is not about you coming to the temple. It's about you, the temple, the people of God, going to the world. And this is a participation, not just in the work of Jesus, but in the very character of Jesus. Do you remember uh, Jesus' story? I mean, he is the essence of one who is sent. He is the essence of one who is going Before Jesus came to the earth and lived a human life, before he was a baby who lived a sinless life, who died a sinner's death and was raised victorious on the third day, before any of that happened, Jesus was sitting in the throne room of heaven, surrounded by worship, surrounded by angels, surrounded by the Trinity. There he is. And Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit had a decision to make. 
Will we wait for humanity to find their way to us or will we go to humanity? And this is one of the great things that separates Christianity from all other religions. All other religions say humanity finds their way to God, but the story of the Bible is that God has found his way to us. That God was never lost, that we were lost and he came and found. Over and over and over when Jesus describes himself, he describes himself as the one who was sent from the Father. He's a God who goes. The first Bible verse that I had my three young sons memorize is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he, what? That he sent his only son, that he came to us. And there's this picture of a God who goes in his ministry. Jesus goes village to village, town to town, city to city. And so it's no surprise, two years in, he looks at these disciples and says, now it's your turn to try this out. Now it's your turn to be the people who are sent. Now it's your turn to go. In order for there to be a movement of God, the people of God must be willing to move. And he looks at him and he says, go, go, I'm sending you. In the context of our church, I want you to see the way this plays out because everything we do is built into this understanding of our sentness. When we were trying to figure out where we were gonna start worship when we planted the church six and a half years ago, we thought, hey, instead of building a building and letting them come to us, there's nothing wrong with building buildings, don't hear me say that, but instead of that being our strategy, what if we found a way to go to our city? And we started looking at our city going, the places that people gather in the heart of Music City are music venues and bars. What if we went to them? So every Sunday when you come in here and sit in these seats, it is a declaration of our sentness as God's people saying, we have come to the city. We've come to the places where people gather. It's the reason we do house churches the way that we do. There are a version of small groups. They meet all over the city. We scatter out so that at least once a week, you're reminded as you're driving to someone's home that church is not what happens when we gather, but it's what also happens as we scatter. It's what we do over and over. Three times this summer, we've laid our hands on families and we've sent church planners to Portugal and to Seattle and to Haiti. We've prayed them over, we send them out. Why? Because we are a people. We don't gather and collect and hoard the people of God. We send them. We send them. And Jesus says the mission, the mission begins with you embracing the reality that we go. And there are many faces to going. You know, some of you right now, you know that God is calling you to move. Sell everything, move to another city, move to another church, move to another neighborhood. Some of you know you've been called to go. I'd argue there are a lot of you in the room who when you talk about going, nothing immediately comes to your heart. You're not gonna move to Africa. You're not called to move to inner city Atlanta. You're not called to move to Detroit. You're not called to move to East Nashville. You haven't been called to go anywhere. So sometimes we hear these words of Jesus and go, what do you do when I don't feel called to go? If you don't feel called to go, I would argue it's because you've already been sent and that you're already in the place where God has sent you. And that before you worry about where it is that God wants you to be on mission, maybe he's inviting you to open your eyes to the place he's already invited you and sent you to be on mission. For some of you, it will be your jobs, your campuses, your apartment complexes, your homes, your family, whatever it is. But Jesus looks at him and he says, if you wanna move from talking to trying, it starts with going. But it doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He gives them another instruction. It's the instruction to discover. Jump down to verse five. I want you to see this. Kind of a weird section of scripture here. I'm gonna try to explain it quickly for us. 
He says, when you go into a town, when you enter a house there, first say, peace to this house. That was just a common greeting in their day. It's like saying, hey, what's up? And he says, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. In other words, if you say, what's up? And they're like, hey, what's up back? He's like, you you know that they're cool to engage you in conversation. That's all Jesus is saying here. Verse seven. He says, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you're welcome there, eat what is offered. Jump down to verse 10. But when you enter a town and you're not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe off of our feet as a warning against you, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. And so Jesus says, if you wanna move from talking to trying, it starts with going. But the second picture he gives them is this picture of discovery. Jesus says, as you go into these towns, I want you to understand you're not taking Jesus anywhere. Jesus has already been there. I'm inviting you to partner with God on a divine scavenger hunt on a spiritual search for the ways and the places and the people in which Jesus Christ has already been at work. He said, so I want you to go to these places with eyes wide open to the reality that God has been there long before you ever showed up. And that God is at work and if you could find the person of peace, not only will the gospel come into their lives through you, but God will use the gospel through them to bless others that you would have never touched. You see this person of peace playing out in Jesus's ministry over and over and over. I'll just give you one short example. If you grew up in church, maybe you remember the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, if you sang that song. And he was this tax collector that did not love God, didn't worship God, a rich guy during the days of Jesus. And there's this one story where Jesus is walking into the city that Zacchaeus grew up in. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd and it says he looks up in this tree and he sees Zacchaeus hanging out in the tree, this rich, godless man hanging out in a tree in the middle of the work day, trying to get a glimpse of the son of God. Now, Jesus knows all things, and so maybe the reason he went over and talked to Zacchaeus is because he knew his heart, but I believe that Jesus went over and talked to Zacchaeus because he saw that a person of peace was emerging. He went, this doesn't make sense. A godless man in the middle of a work day, hanging out in a tree, trying to get a glimpse of the Son of God, maybe God is doing something. So he walks up to the tree, and maybe you remember the story, Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, hey, bro, come down from here. That's the paraphrase. He says, come down out of the tree. Um, I'm going over to your house today. Can you, you know, make me some chicken fingers and food? And it's this funny story when you think about it, because it, it sounds like Jesus is doing something really rude. It sounds like he's saying, hey, get out of the tree. I'm coming to your house. Make me food. I'm hanging with your friends. It's not at all what Jesus is doing. Jesus says, I want to come to you on your terms. I want to come to you on your turf. I want to come to you in the place that is most comfortable for you because it's there that you'll see the glory of God. And so it wasn't just that Jesus went to the city that Zacchaeus was in. He found Zacchaeus, a person of peace. And maybe you remember the story. He enters into his house. They have this meal with all Zacchaeus' friends. And it says, the salvation of God broke out amongst them. That something happened. And so Jesus told the disciples, he said, listen, you're gonna go out. That's what he's telling us. And there are gonna be times when you have people at your work who will show you an unreasonable amount of God's favor. They'll be kind to you in ways that don't make sense. And instead of just going, wow, they're nice because we're in the South, you begin opening up your eyes going, man, maybe God's doing something in their life. Maybe they're a person of peace. Think about the way that this has played out in our church family. We have three locations that meet across Nashville. Some of you may or may not know that. And every one of these locations uh, we were given, not because we went and asked for them, but because God opened up a person of peace who invited us into this space. It's how we ended up in the cannery, how we ended up in Marathon, how we ended up in Hillsborough Village, the person of peace. It's, the, it's the, the way that our strip club ministry for women kind of came to bear. 
It wasn't this great strategy. It wasn't this great, you know, plan. God opened up a door and a person of peace invited us into a place where we didn't think the gospel would typically be welcomed. And what we've seen is God do amazing things. I think about just one story from, from my life. I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, about a year and a half ago, my lawnmower broke. And so I was going to Home Depot. I was gonna buy the cheapest mower, push mower that I could find to mow my yard. I don't like spending money on those sort of things. And so I show up at Home Depot and the guy that is trying to sell me the mower, his name is Michael. And just instantly, he and I have this rapport, just an amazing, amazing guy. And so we're talking, I'm getting ready to buy the cheapest lawnmower that they have there at Home Depot. And he looks at me and he says, hey bro, I know you don't know me. I know we don't have any friendship, but I'm just telling you, that mower will only last you a season or two. It will break down and you have to come back and buy another one. It's the only reason we sell it because repeat customers. He said, if you'd spend just a little more money and get the next size mower, he says, uh, it'll last you forever. He says, I don't make commission off that sale. I'm just trying to help you out. And he said, on top of that, I'll go in and talk to the manager, see if I can find someone to help you, see if we can get a, a better rate for you. And so he walks in to talk to the manager and all of a sudden I find myself standing here with this mower and the spirit of God just kind of internally said to me, Dave, don't miss this. This is not about a lawnmower. This is a person of peace. This guy is showing you favor for no reason. He's going out of his way to help you for no reason. Open your eyes to what God's trying to do here. And so I'm sitting here talking with this guy, Michael, he comes back and all of a sudden just, hey, tell me your story. And he starts telling me how he ended up in Nashville. And I discover that he's hungry to know more about faith and more about God. And so I invite him to come be a part of what we're doing here at Ethos. And he never leaves. He shows up on Sunday. And then all of a sudden he starts house churches and starts multiplying house churches. And now he's being discipled to go out and plant churches to unreach people groups. And God has just done amazing things to his life. And I go, why'd that happen? It wasn't strategy and it wasn't charisma and it wasn't even courage. It was that God had done something and just having the eyes to see where God is already at work. And Jesus said to move from talking about the mission to trying to live it out. He says, it starts with you going. He says, it continues as you discover. Jump down to verse nine and I wanna give us two more words together. He says, and it continues as you heal the sick who are there and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near you. I'll read that one more time. Look at verse nine. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. The last two words I want us to think about are to show and tell. To show and tell. These words go together. Do you remember that game in kindergarten? To show and tell. Simple rules. You bring your favorite toy on a Friday or whatever day it was that you do show and tell. And before you could tell the class about the toy in your hand, you had to do what? You had to show them what it was like. You had to demonstrate it. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out. You're gonna go. You're gonna discover where God is already at work. And once you make that discovery, there's going to be an aspect of sharing your faith that will require both a demonstration and a proclamation. Both a showing by example and power and both a telling with the grace of Christ what Jesus has just done. I wanna start with this idea of showing for a second because this is gonna be most uncomfortable for some of you. This is gonna be the area you know, that's gonna be very difficult but I just wanna show you the word of God, okay? This is just straight out of the scriptures. Jesus says, the first thing I want you to do when you go into these places is to heal the sick. There are other times when Jesus goes in uh, to areas of ministry and he tells them, hey, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out the demons. Here he goes easy on them, it's just heal the sick. When we think about, when we think about kind of the upper level of Christianity, we think about supernatural power. For us, healing the sick is kind of the PhD of Christianity. For Jesus, healing the sick was the starting place. Think about this. Before he empowered them to teach the gospel, he empowered them to heal the sick. This is a crazy thought to me. 
And my life has really pushed against these words of Jesus. But the problem is, we're not supposed to make the word of God conform to our experiences. We're supposed to allow the word of God to explode and transform our experiences so that they start looking more like the scriptures. I want you to think about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus did not just come to earth to tell people that they could one day get in heaven. Jesus came to earth to show people what heaven would look like one day when it got into people. So he didn't just come with a message. He came with this demonstration that the kingdom of heaven was near. So when Jesus would walk around on the earth, when he would see things happening in people that did not belong in heaven, Jesus would deal with it. He'd clean house. He'd look at them and go, oh, there's no sickness in heaven. Let's deal with that. There's no death in heaven. Let's deal with that. There's no paralysis in heaven. Let's deal with that. There's no sin in heaven. Let's deal with that. There's no spiritual wounds in heaven. Let's deal with that. And Jesus over and over and over, before he would share the message of his kingdom, he would demonstrate the reality that the kingdom had come near in him. And then he turns to the disciples. He says, now it's your turn to try this, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to do the things that I've been doing. And they go out and they read it. And I just wanna challenge you for a second. You cannot read the Bible you cannot read the Bible honestly and walk away believing that supernatural things aren't a part of the kingdom life. You see it over and over and over in the scriptures that God does supernatural things to bring glory to himself and himself alone. My confession uh, to you is for the majority of my walk with Jesus, I was spiritually agnostic when it came to the kind of the spiritual powers of God's kingdom. I would have never said that. Intellectually, I would have said, yes, Jesus heals, Jesus works, but I would not have believed that Jesus would heal and work to someone like me. And so most of my life, I kind of kept myself from ever stepping into what God was trying to do in our church and in our city because there was this kind of depth of spiritual agnosticism that said, maybe Jesus does that, but he doesn't do it in places and in people like me. Several years ago, God began to kind of blow up this paradigm for me, and I just want to testify to a couple of things. I can tell you stories about what God is doing overseas amongst our church plants, but if you're like me, overseas is too far away. It doesn't feel real enough, so I want to talk about things that have happened right here in Nashville. And I just want to testify, and there are people in the church that know these stories. If this is not true, I'm a liar, and I will never preach at Ethos again, I promise you. This is not true. I'm, I'm just going to tell you the truth. The way God began kind of blowing up my life on this stuff was five or six years ago, there's a guy in our city, he came here to play basketball on a scholarship, he was a Muslim, uh, did not know Jesus, did not know really any followers of Jesus. He injured his leg playing basketball, was gonna lose his scholarship and would have to go home. And there were two college guys in our church at that time. We were a small church of about 150 people, if you could even imagine that. Small little church. These two college guys felt like they were supposed to go pray for this guy who had injured his leg. They'd never done this before. They didn't know what would happen. They'd walk over to his dorm room, knock on the door. Hey, we're here. We think we're supposed to pray that God would heal you. And I'm not gonna water it down. This is just what happened. They walked in. They laid hands on this young man. God, in his grace, for whatever reason, chose to supernaturally heal him. And instantly he goes, who have you come here for? He said, Jesus Christ sent us. We baptized him that night in a swimming pool. We had to jump over the fence at an apartment complex. I think that's illegal, but God's cool with it. And uh, <laughs> baptized him and he kept playing basketball. He's now back in the Middle East, living faithfully for Christ among his family, many of whom have come to see the goodness of God. Because there's a moment where we got to show and to tell. I'll tell you another story. There's a woman named Allison 
who she and her husband helped plant our church over at Marathon. They're with us up until a few months ago when they moved to Louisville. Some of you know Allison and her husband, just an amazing family. About a year and a half ago, she showed up to the prayer gathering one night. Her back was just, it'd been hurting her for months. It was this debilitating back issue. Just crushing pain, didn't know what to do. So she showed up at prayer gathering. We decided we're gonna pray over her. And I just wanna testify to what happened. We laid our hands on her, we prayed over her, and nothing supernatural or crazy seemed to happen. There's no fire in the room. There's no angel with a sword and a trumpet and a bucket of oil flying around. Like, <laughs> there's nothing weird. We prayed, and then I immediately doubted whether or not it worked. And so I thought, okay, that didn't work. They didn't feel like anything happened. So once again, I feel embarrassed. On the way home, she texts us and says, hey, my back is feeling better. And I'm still full of doubt. I'm like, okay, praise God. Now take a thousand Advil, you know, and, <laughs> and, and get better. And, and for the next 17 or 18 days, she and her husband text us every morning. The back is still good, the back is still good, the back is still good. Here we are 18 months later, they've moved to Louisville, and we'll email, we'll call back and forth, and every now and then they'll end their emails with, the back is still good. And God at times just shows up that way to demonstrate his glory. I'll give you one more story from this week. Sunday night we're at prayer gathering. Young guy has a leg that's hurt and it's been hurting him for a while. We prayed over him once again, didn't seem like anything crazy or cool happened. God healed his leg though by the power and the grace of Jesus that was present. On Tuesday, I had the joy of baptizing that guy. And there are moments when God works like this. Now, let me just talk about the elephant in the room. For every story of God working in powerful ways, we could give 10 stories of times in which he chose not to. I don't understand it. I'm not gonna swing around the fact, but it's what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 10. He says, sometimes you go out, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Even in Jesus's ministry, remember Mark chapter six, you can go back and read it. There are times when the healing ministry of Jesus was thwarted by the unbelief of the people. Mark chapter six, go read it. It says he couldn't heal people there. Why? Because of the, the depth of unbelief. And Jesus is inviting us into all of that. And I'm not talking about those things. I'm not talking about that side of things because I'm convinced we don't need any help to not believe. What we need is help to believe. And I'm convinced that God is longing to open up your life to be a clearer conduit of his power and glory into a world that desperately needs to see the kingdom. He says, this is the way that it works. You go, you discover, and then you show them with power. It's 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20. The kingdom of God is not a matter of speech or talk, but of power. You show them, you open up your life to the power of God. And then I love the way he ends verse nine. He says, and then you tell them that the kingdom of God has come near you. When I was in college, a guy came and spoke at our chapel service. And I'll never forget this talk. It's an amazing talk. And in the midst of his talk, he quoted St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe you've heard this quote before. And I loved it. As soon as he said it, I wrote it down in my prayer journal. It was on the front of my prayer journal for like two or three years. But maybe you've heard this famous quote that is attributed to St. Francis. He says, preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. And I thought, yes, like, I love that. Like, live the gospel out. And if you have to, preach, but live the gospel out. Just demonstrate it. And then as the years went on, there were kind of two problems with that quote. The first problem was that I found out St. Francis never said that. And uh, sorry to burst that bubble if some of you have that on your prayer journal. You can, still a great quote, but he never said it, okay? Second problem with the quote was Jesus. I kept looking at the life and the ministry and the words of Jesus, and Jesus never makes this separation between what we say and how we live. He never makes a separation between demonstration and pro proclamation. 
Jesus always connects the two. And over and over and over, Jesus is not just demonstrating the power of the kingdom, but he is proclaiming the power of the kingdom. He doesn't just show them the love of God, but he tells them about the God of love that has come near to them. And we live in a culture that loves the idea of showing the gospel, but we struggle to tell the gospel. And the reason I believe we struggle to tell the gospel is because deep in our hearts, even those of us that sit in church every Sunday, many of us are not convinced that the good news of Jesus is really good news for those who are sinning. And until we become convinced that the good news of Jesus is actually good news for those who are caught in sin, we will never open our mouths. In fact, until you're convinced that the good news of the kingdom is good news for all people, you will actually protect your friends from hearing it because you're scared it will be offensive. Tonight, we're gonna get a gather and we're gonna get to see people baptized, hopefully. It'll be a fun, amazing celebration. And every person that has come to Christ in ethos, every person that has gathered here has come because one person had the courage to not just demonstrate a life of faith, but to invite and to tell, hey, this is what God is doing. It says that he sends them out on this mission. They move from talking about it to, to trying it out. And some of them have success. Some of them get kicked out of town. Like it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. It's just the way it is for us. Jump down to verse 17. This is the last verse we'll look at. And it says, but they all returned. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Success and failure but the result of it was not just God's glory and it was not just God's salvation, it was God's joy taking hold of God's people. 10 years have gone by since I sat on the side of the road with my wife, having a time of intense fellowship about the mission of God. But what has forever changed since then is I have found myself invited deeply into places where we get to interact with people who don't know Jesus in the midst of all the success and in the midst of all the failure, there has been this ridiculous, unthinkable joy that's been birthed both in us and in the people around us. And I wanna invite you today to step more fully into the joy. Like, it is not fun. I would argue it is not fun at all to sit in church Sunday after Sunday and Sunday, talk about the mission and never try it out. The joy comes as we step into it. And I wanna challenge you, wherever you are in the journey this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, I wanna invite you to take one step towards Christ and the mission that he's put before us. This is why we exist as a church. Not just to love God, not just to love the people that are in this room, it is to awaken the movement in the city that God has sent us to. And that movement will not be awakened in the city until that movement has been awakened in you. And so I wanna ask you, does your heart beat for those who do not yet know the love of Jesus? Does it beat for them? And how does the priority of your life point to that greater affection? Wherever you are, I wanna challenge you to just take one step this morning. For some of you, you've never trusted your life to Jesus, your past, your present, your future. You've never placed your faith in him. Never been saved. You've never walked in obedience and been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just wanna invite you here in a few minutes. We're gonna take communion. I'll be standing right over here to the left. If you wanna give your life to Jesus today, if you wanna be baptized tonight, come find me up here at the Respond Banner. We'll talk, we'll pray, I'll answer any questions that you may have. But for some of you, before you get interested in the mission of Jesus, you must first be interested in Jesus. 
And some of you, that's your first step tonight, stepping towards Christ. For some of you, it's not a step towards Jesus, it's a step towards spiritual community. In your seat was one of these little cards. It says, find community. We talked about this last week, so I'm just gonna highlight it here, but house churches or small groups, it's the way that we do spiritual community here at Ethos. And I just wanna encourage you. If you are not connected in spiritual community, your commitment to Jesus' mission will grow cold over time. It is in the context of community and in friendship with God that your love for those who don't yet know him will grow. And so today, before the sun goes down, take this card home with you. You can sign up for House Church through your phone. For some of you, that's a step, getting connected in spiritual community. Some of you are followers of Jesus. Some of you are connected in community. For some of you, your next step is just to embrace your sentness, your going. Some of you know where God is calling you to go. And here's what I'm praying for you today is that God would give you the spiritual courage to tell those around you what God has already called you to do. For some of you, it's gonna be calling the family and saying, hey, I'm moving to Africa or I'm moving to Atlanta or I'm moving into the inner city of Nashville or I'm, I'm moving. For some of you, you know God has been calling you and right now the spirit of God is burning your heart up because you can't ignore it anymore. And for some of you, the step is just to take a step towards what God is calling you to do. You just tell somebody. Tell your house church, tell your friends. We'll start getting around you, help you figure out how to take the step. For some of you, it's not about going somewhere else. It's about seeing the place you've already been sent through the eyes of Jesus. And so today when you leave here, it's, okay, how do I bless my neighborhood? How do I bless my campus? How do, how do I bless those that I work with? How do I live as a missionary and not just a member of a church? For some of you, that's your step. It's a step towards your going, your sentness. For some of you, it's a step towards your discovery. Maybe you're already leaning into the mission of God, but you're trying to do it on your own terms. You're trying to extract people from your community and to get them to come with you and to do what you do the way that you do them. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to step into their world. I want you to find that person of peace and I want you to enter all the way in so that the glory of God can be made known amongst them. And for some of you, it will be just literally stepping deeper into the mission that you have already embraced, stepping towards those people. And for some of us, it'll be a step of showing or telling. I wanna challenge every person in our church this week to just ask God, God, will you give me opportunities for Jesus to show off? Will you give me opportunities for your power to flow through me for your name and your glory? And you're gonna pray that prayer and I guarantee you God will give you 100 opportunities that you'll ignore because you're a coward like me and you won't know what to do with it. But because he's a good father, he'll keep giving them to you. And you'll pray with doubt like I often pray. And sometimes you'll see God move in amazing ways and sometimes you won't, but the joy of the Lord will seize you as you live into those things. For some of you, it is a step of showing and for some of you, it is a step of telling. You know that there's someone you need to invite to be here next week. You know there's someone you need to bring with you to baptism tonight. You know there's someone you need to invite into your house church or into your home or into your life. You know there's someone that you just need to tell them about what God is doing. Like a family, we, we exist to love God and to love people and to awaken the movement that Jesus began in the world around us. Let's pray that that movement would be awakened in us. And may we do whatever it takes this week to take a step beyond talking and not be a church that's just known for talking about the mission, but for really trying it together. Let's pray and we'll take communion and spend some time responding to God together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit among us.